Welcome to the Maternity and Midwifery Hour, brought to you once a week by the Maternity and Midwifery Forum. This podcast is supported by Matflix, video streaming from maternity experts. All your CPD needs made easy. If you need to get your revalidation done or have a student project to complete, Matflix is the one-stop shop. And welcome everybody. This is session five, series three, I can hardly believe it, February the 3rd, 2021. And welcome to this episode of the Maternity and Midwifery Hour. Really pleased to be with you this evening. My name's Sue MacDonald and I'm the lucky curator of these hours and of the maternity festivals. And if you haven't booked for next week, so there's a maternity and midwifery festival next week on Tuesday. Um, and as many of you will know, these um, sessions were designed around the time of the pandemic began to give midwives, student midwives, people in maternity care, and that does include doctors, actually, and people who are just interested in maternity services, some as continuing professional development and also access to information that they needed in their lives and in their jobs. And it's also, this is run by Matflix, who look after the whole system. And if you need any continuing professional development, any updating for your revalidation, or if you're doing a project, or if you're doing an assignment or an assessment in university or college, this is the place to go for some information because we've got loads of, loads of information to get at. So do keep a look at, at the Matflix um, site if you can. Now this evening we're going to be delving into vaccination and obviously it's into COVID-19 vaccination and I'm delighted I'm joined this evening by Dr Ken Hodson, consultant in obstetrics and the maternal medicine at the Royal Victoria Infirmary Newcastle. I want, I want to say Newcastle, <laughs> get a little bit of a, a thing there, and Linda Machikare who is head of midwifery at University Hospital Lewisham and co-chair of South East London Local Maternity System. And I'm going to start, as I always do, with a little moment of the week from each of my lovely speakers. So if I could start with perhaps Linda, if you'd like to share something from this week. Um, I guess I'll have to share that in all of what we've gone through in the past year, We've talked a lot about mindfulness and people accessing the right kind of support, um, especially around self-care. But as a leader, what I had done is neglected myself. And oh. I run a lot. I run to get the endorphins out and so on. And I, I had just stopped. Um, so I've put all my kit out and I'm starting again in a couple of days. So... To me, that's a big thing because that's my outlet. So <laughs> my running feet are back, let's say it that way. Well done. I can't imagine you not running about, Linda, or <laughs> dancing. And those of you, if, if you follow Linda on Twitter, you'll see she has a little dance with her colleagues in the maternity unit, which is fabulous. That's super. Thank you so much. How about Ken? Do you have a moment that you can share with us, Ken? Yeah, so I think... Um, my moment this week is to find someone to, to mend my uh, old coffee machine, um, <laughs> which I absolutely love and uh, was given to me as a wedding gift approximately 15 years ago now. So um, I'm delighted to have found someone even in the pandemic who can, uh, can mend it for me. Oh, wow. And, and in that we've got even a sort of ecological message that you don't just, just chuck away Absolutely. beloved Recycle. machine. Yep. Fabulous. Fabulous. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's great. So I'm going to move on to the main part of this pro this programme this evening, and that is we're looking at vaccination, the challenges, the information that's going out and how our professional staff are dealing with that. And I'm so pleased we've got Dr. Ken Hodson, who is consultant obstetrician at the Royal Victoria in Newcastle. He's also head of the UK Teratology information service and that's also on the list of resources for you really good use a useful resource loads of information and advice on medication use in pregnancy if you haven't found that out, out already 
So there's a website and helpline for that. He also can also lead specialised antenatal clinics for women with cardiac and renal disease in pregnancy. And he's currently working with various groups, including NHS England, PHE, MHRA, RCOG and RCM to improve information about COVID vaccination in pregnancy. So the perfect person to be with us this evening pregnancy and breastfeeding and to set up a national surveillance system for vaccine safety and I know a lot of people are concerned about vaccine safety so perfect um, for Ken to be with us this evening. Also a very active tweeter so those of you who are tweeters also I have there the, both Linda and Ken's Twitter handles on the resource page also. So welcome Ken the screen is now yours. Yes, thank you very much Sue. Um, I'll just share my screen. Great. So um, thank you very much, Sue, for the introduction. And, and thank you very much for inviting me to come and talk today. Um, I'll just put it into slideshow mode. Um, so just to start off with um, a declaration of interest. So I've, I've no declarations of conflict of interest, um, but also I just want to point out that I've not been involved in any policy decisions um, regarding the UK vaccination program. Um, it has been done through um, NHS England and the Joint Commission on uh, JCVI. So um, this is a rough timeline for um, COVID and COVID vaccination. Um, and um, the first index case was um, reported in Wuhan in December 2019, and then the first case uh, came over to the UK, and then on the 16th of March the UK was in lockdown. Um, trials of vaccines began around um, April, uh, the beginning of uh, April 2020, uh, in particular trials of the Pfizer-BioNTech uh, vaccine. And by the end of November of last year, um, we had the phase three trial results, which demonstrated that the vaccine was safe, um, but also very effective in terms of preventing COVID. And on the 7th of um, December, the MHRA approved the Pfizer vaccine. Um, but pertinent to pregnancy, um, when they approved the vaccine, um, they said that pregnancy and breastfeeding were a complete contraindication to the vaccine because um, pregnant women were not included in the vaccine trials. So the recommendation from the JCBI was that um, women should avoid pregnancy. Um, they shouldn't be given the vaccine if they're pregnant or breastfeeding and should avoid pregnancy for up to two months afterwards. Um, the second vaccine was the AstraZeneca vaccine, which was approved on the 30th of December. Um, and in just a one month period, um, there was quite a sea change from the Joint Commission on Vaccine and Immunisation. So they said, actually, um, theoretically, there is no harm in giving the vaccine uh, to pregnant women, but we don't have any human safety data. Um, and um, they said that the vaccine could be offered if the woman was high risk uh, from COVID or had a high risk job, such as a healthcare worker or social works in a, in a care home, for example. Also, they said that it can be given um, in breastfeeding. Um, again, there isn't any obvious reason why um, the vaccine would not be safe in breastfeeding, but there is no safety data. Um, so that was quite a big sea change uh, just before New Year. Um, and then on the 8th of January, MHRA have approved them the third vaccine, Moderna vaccine. So who are uh, the JCVI? Well, it stands for the Joint Commission on Vaccine and Immunisation, and it's an independent advisory committee um, that advises on vaccines, the scheduling of vaccines, and also the safety of vaccine. Um, in England and Wales, it has a statutory role, but in Scotland and Northern Ireland, um, they, they may choose to follow the advice. They don't have to follow the advice of the JCVI. Um, as you may well be aware, the JCVI split people into priority groups, and um, that was according to their age. So um, the, the most at risk group are, are in group one, and these are residents in a care home, um, elderly patients who are above the age of 80. Um, and um, as you go down the list, um, the risk from severe disease or the risk from mortality from COVID um, decreases. Um, the vaccine schedule, it's recommended that it's given in two doses, and you'll be very aware of the controversy regarding those two doses. In the trial, the doses were given approximately three to four weeks apart. 
Um, but because the, the need to vaccinate a large number of people as quickly as possible, um, that schedule has been increased in the UK. Um, so, um, and the JCVI do not give a sort of preference one vaccine over the other, so they're all equally as efficacious at preventing COVID. Um, so which pregnant women can be vaccinated? So I said that, um, so pregnant women, if I just go back to this slide, um, come in uh, in this, this group two, so they might be frontline health and social care workers, or group four, so the um, clinically extremely vulnerable group. Um, and this is um, the uh, vaccine information sheet that we've produced, so a, a number of different bodies, including the RCOG, the Royal College of Midwives, UK Teratology Information Service and the Macdonald Obstetric Medicine Society, um, we, we got together to produce this information sheet for pregnant women. And basically it says that you can have the vaccine if you are either at high risk of exposure, so you're a health and social care worker, or you are at high risk of severe illness if you get COVID. And this is this CEV group, the clinically extremely vulnerable group. Um, and this is a, an enlargement of that. So the clinically extremely vulnerable um, are well-defined by the government um, and basically include conditions such as organ transplant, people undergoing cancer treatment, um, people who've had transplants, stem cell transplants with significant lung disease, et cetera, et cetera. So people who, if they got COVID, would be severely unwell and or at significant risk of mortality from COVID. Uh, and, and it includes all those above conditions. There is a catch-all, uh, catch basically. So um, the list is, you know, there are some very significant conditions. So, that, for example, if you've got a kidney condition, you need to be um, an advanced kidney condition. So they say um, stage five kidney disease or on dialysis. So that's a fairly extreme um, condition. But there is a catch-all that your hospital doctor or GP feels there are other reasons why you might get more severe illness if you develop COVID-19. So there is a kind of um, a clause there that says if your doctor feels that you're uh, at significant risk from COVID, then, then you can also um, uh, be entitled to the vaccine. Um, I'll just put this up because um, UCOS, um, the UK Obstetric Surveillance Survey, um, have been gathering data about pregnant women with COVID. Uh, and this is one of their most recent studies looking at um, women admitted to hospital with COVID hospitalized between March and August of last year. So over a six month window. Um, and just looking at the risk factors of women who are admitted, you're more likely to be admitted um, uh, to hospital with COVID if, if you're overweight or obese. So there's a twofold increase. Um, there's a six-fold increase if, if you're black and four-fold increase if you're Asian um, or other ethnic minority groups. So, uh, and also uh, a two-fold increase if you have medical comorbidities such as diabetes or hypertension. So um, one question is whether we are indeed prioritizing the vaccines to the most vulnerable, given that um, there are certain groups within this who, uh, who seem to be even more at risk than having had a, a medical comorbidity. So when you see patients and you talk to them about the vaccine, what, how do you go about the counselling? So um, one way to approach this would be to talk about the benefits of the vaccination and then to talk about the risks. So the obvious benefit from the vaccination is that it protects you against COVID-19. Um, so that being said, most pregnant women will only get mild symptoms um, from COVID and, and will not be hospitalised. However, you're more at risk from COVID if you are in your third trimester, if you have other medical comorbidities, particularly if you're in the clinically extremely vulnerable group, um, if you're obese or, or if you're um, from the BAME um, uh, group. Um, the benefits of vaccination, well, it's 95% effective in non-pregnant women after two doses given three weeks apart. So we know the effectiveness of the vaccine, but all those trials were just in, in non-pregnant women. So unless pregnancy changes your immune system somehow and you're not so responsive to the vaccine, which we don't think it, it is an issue, um, then, then you know the benefits of the vaccination is good immunity. 
Another potential benefit is reduction in transmission to other vulnerable people, although we're still gathering data on this. Although um, in the last day or two, there has been some um, developments in terms of saying that people that have been vaccinated are less likely to have um, positive COVID swabs, so less likely to, to be um, asymptomatic carriers of COVID. However, this reduction in transmission is still, still needs to be proven. But it figures that if you're vaccinated, you're unlikely to be passing the uh, disease on. So what are the risks of vaccination? Well, um, vaccines were not tested in pregnant women. Um, so all the trials excluded pregnant women. We know something about it, however, from animal data. So there was, um, the vaccines have been tested on pregnant animals, um, uh, pregnant rats, and uh, no significant impact on their fertility, no increase in the anomaly rate of the pups, um, and uh, no pregnancy complications. So this is reassuring, but you can't necessarily take animal data and apply it to, to human data. Um, but the other reassuring feature about the vaccines is that they are non-live. So the vaccines do not contain live COVID. Um, and um, we have a lot of data on other non-live vaccines, such as pertussis, um, whooping cough, um, and the influenza vaccine, which is given every year. Um, all non-live vaccines are, are safe to give in pregnancy. There is no uh, data showing any harm from any other non-live vaccine. And there's no reason to suspect that the COVID vaccine will be any different um, to these other non-live vaccines. Um, there is, that you may well be aware that the COVID vaccines often utilize new technology. So using mRNA um, and perhaps using a vector virus to, 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 to give the mRNA. Um, and that kind of technology hasn't been tested um, in human pregnancy. So there potentially is a small risk of an unknown or an unforeseen problem. Um, and that's why really in order to justify giving the vaccine, there needs to be a risk from COVID-19. So that's the kind of justification for giving it only to those um, people who are either occupational risk or um, potentially if they caught COVID would be at significant risk of disease. Um, when, when should we be vaccinating pregnant women? Well, actually, there isn't any advice about this from the JCVI. Um, from a pragmatic point of view, uh, and me with a sort of teratology hat on, um, it seems sensible to avoid the first 12 weeks of pregnancy if you can. However, you might, you might argue that in certain people, you know, becoming vaccinated and becoming immune straight away are very important. For example, if a, a woman's got cystic fibrosis or a very bad chest, you might say, well, actually, it's really important for her to be vaccinated as soon as possible, even if that's within the first 12 weeks. But generally speaking, um, after 12 weeks, the baby's formed and the sort of risk of it causing a congenital anomaly uh, is substantially diminished. So um, it, it makes sense to, to vaccinate after 12 weeks, but and also to try and vaccinate before the third trimester when the risk is greater. Um, do you need to delay pregnancy? So if you, if you get the vaccine, you're not pregnant, should you delay? Well, the old advice was you needed to wait for two months after vaccination before becoming pregnant. However, um, that advice is no longer stands. So you, can, you don't need to delay pregnancy if you've been vaccinated. Um, there is this funny thing that if you if you um, if you go for a vaccine um, and you don't think you're pregnant, have the vaccine, and then you discover that you're pregnant, um, the current recommendation is to wait until the pregnancy is over until you get your second dose. But to me, that doesn't really make sense. Um, essentially, you've you've, been, you've had the first dose, and you may as well vaccinate um, the second dose because you've already uh, exposed the baby to the vaccination anyway. And why not? Know, give the woman a uh, good immunity um, into the second and third trimester. So I, I don't really agree with the recommendation that you need to wait until the pregnancy is over. Um, breastfeeding. Um, so uh, initially, again, breastfeeding, it wasn't okay to give the vaccine to breastfeeding women. Um, but after the, the change of heart on the 30th of December, it, it is now okay. Uh, and this is because you can't, it's very difficult to imagine why the 
the vaccination would somehow cross over into breast milk and cause a problem for the baby. It's, it's so, so unlikely that that would happen. And there are huge benefits, as we all know, to breastfeeding. So um, in line with recommendations from the USA and the World Health Organization, um, we've come around to the idea that it, it is safe to give the vaccine to breastfeeding women. So this is a big one. So does vaccination affect fertility? And many of you will be aware of uh, rumours that are going around uh, that the vaccine causes um, sort of infertility. Um, this is a, a screenshot, and this is where this kind of rumour came from. So this is a, a screenshot from, from Facebook, um, and it says, you know, the headline here, head of Pfizer research says, COVID vaccine is female sterilization, which is such a sort of bold and uh, unlikely to be true statement. Uh, first of all, the, the, the person making the statement, Michael Yaden, actually left Pfizer in, in about 10 years ago. So he's not head of Pfizer research. Um, he, he worked for Pfizer research, but he, he wasn't the head of Pfizer research uh, and he doesn't work for Pfizer anymore. So the first part of the statement is untrue. Um, if you go on to actually read the post, it talks about the vaccine containing a spike protein image here. But the vaccine doesn't contain spike protein, it contains mRNA. So again, that's, a, that's not true. And then the theory is that because um, the spike protein shares a small sequence of amino acids that's similar to a placental protein, you might form antibodies to the placental protein and that might cause infertility. Um, this theory has absolutely no evidence to support it. There is no supporting animal or human data um, to suggest that um, symptom one is degraded by antibodies. And women who have had COVID are still getting pregnant at the same rate uh, as they were before. So this bold statement, uh, COVID vaccination is female sterilization, you kind of know is, is going to be untrue. However, misinformation spreads very quickly. Um, and um, one does need to bear in mind the need to anticipate adverse events. And I present a scenario to you is that a woman maybe receives the vaccine at around 20 weeks, and the next day she goes into premature labor. And somebody else maybe in the same trust has the vaccine at 24 weeks and also goes into preterm labor. And then the media report that the vaccine causes preterm labor and the story is shared on social media. And you can see how potentially people might link um, unconnected adverse events to the vaccine and that that might precipitate these misinformation, um, particularly on social media. So how are we going to try and counter this? Well, what we need to know is what the rate of preterm birth is in women who haven't been vaccinated and compare it to those who have. Um, and how do we do that? Well, what we need is data collection and it's really important that we gain data about the safety of the vaccine in pregnancy. Um, what we're hoping to do is, um, uh, so we're working very hard to create the system whereby when you get vaccinated, um, uh, your, this gets recorded on the digital system um, that, that's, that they're using for vaccination called NIMS, um, which go, feeds into NHS Digital. And then um, when you have your baby, data about the uh, maternal outcome and the neonatal outcome also goes to NHS Digital um, via the electronic healthcare records. And what you then need to do is link the vaccination to birth outcomes. And if we do that, then we can have a weekly update. So we can tell the number of women vaccinated, the percentage of whom had a healthy baby, and we can look at adverse events. And the adverse events that we'd be interested in would be small for gestational age, preterm birth, stillbirth and congenital anomaly. And then we could benchmark those adverse events against match cohort of women who, who haven't been um, vaccinated. Uh, and in that way, create a, a safety dashboard. Um, the other thing that we can look at is because the efficacy of the vaccine hasn't been tested in pregnancy is linked to positive swab test results, again through NHS Digital. So this kind of digital way of um, doing um, vaccine surveillance is, is our preferred method. Um, however, it's, it will take some time to set this up. And, and the biggest stumbling block at the moment is getting the people that have made this computer system um, flag up that the woman's pregnant and you wouldn't believe how difficult it is actually to, to get that done. Um, I've just had news this week that, you know, it's, it's, 
it's definitely in progress and an, an absolute top priority because we really, really, really need to know how many women in pregnancy have been vaccinated. It's so important for any analysis that you do um, thereafter. Um, as you will be aware, we've been vaccinating pregnant women for about a month now. Um, and um, there is a temporary reporting system in place through this group called Vaccines in Pregnancy, which is part of Public Health England. And perhaps we might be using UCOS to stimulate more reporting of vaccine. Um, I don't really want to talk about this in great detail at this stage because I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that the digital system will just take over and that maternity units won't be burdened with the need to report pregnant women to UCOS who have been vaccinated. Um, uh, and this comes from the Cumberledge report, which some of you will be aware of, a report into the um, uh, use of uh, sodium valproate, vaginal mesh, uh, and a hormonal pregnancy test. Um, all, all of those caused harm either to the, to the woman um, or harm to their baby. Um, and one of the biggest things that they identified from that report was a system failure. So the failure for collecting data, um, unable to assess efficacy, unable to assess complications, and no systems in place to analyze or react to data. And, and this is this, you know, this report only came out at the beginning of last year. And here we are giving vaccination to pregnant women with now really a good system at the moment of collecting the data uh, and no good way of really assessing for complications. However, I'm confident that we are going to change that. And um, because of the way the vaccine program has been rolled out, uh, i.e. In, in a hurry, I think that's one of the reasons why this hasn't really been thought through properly and that we're still on playing catch up really in terms of getting this um, data collection sorted. Um, but the good news is that we're now all collaborating. So we're, we're, we're all working together as group um, under the RCOG COVID-19 vaccine working group. Um, and our aim is to provide up-to-date information and guidance to set up and maintain a monitoring system um, and we're lobbying the UK government to do this, um, to report outcome data, but more importantly, to support women to make informed decisions about vaccination and to support you as healthcare professionals and midwives looking after these patients. So what do you need to do now? Well, um, I think you need to familiarise yourself with who, who can be vaccinated. And just to go through that again, it's women um, who are at high um, uh, exposure from their occupation, so healthcare workers, social care workers, and women who are in the clinically vulnerable group. Those are the only two um, criteria um, of women who can be vaccinated at this point. Now that might change in the future as the vaccine programme um, continues. I think we need to be talking to women in the antenatal clinic, um, and I, I'll, I'll show you where the RCOG leaflet is that we've produced um, in, in a minute. Um, we have a, a monograph on the UK TIS website about non-live vaccines in general, so that might be reassuring to some women. Um, and um, we may be asking you to report until we have an automated system. Um, but the other important thing that we need to be doing is supporting the vaccine centres and the GP practices. Um, often these are staffed by clinicians that are not used to talking to pregnant women and not using, used to explaining benefits and risks. And, and certainly I've had a lot of queries from people saying, or a lot of reports of people saying, well, uh, you know, pregnant women are being sent away from the vaccine centres because they're not happy to, to give the vaccine to pregnant women. And I think um, in all those circumstances, I've said, well, have, have, have we actually... Have you gone and spoken to the, the lead clinicians and, and offered your services? Because I think that um, there are groups of pregnant women, there are ones that definitely won't get vaccinated under circumstances, and there's ones who are very worried about COVID and, and take up the vaccine, but there's quite a lot of women in the middle who need extra support and extra counselling, really, in order to talk through the pros and cons. Um, I would just want to switch my screen and just do that. So um, this is the RCOG website, and there's the Coronavirus Pregnancy Women's Health. Click on that. Um, then click on COVID-19 Infection and Pregnancy. And then if you scroll down this page, um, there's Vaccination and Pregnancy. And this is the information sheet that we've produced. Which is taking a minute to download. 
Um, so um, this is about who can be vaccinated, the options for pregnant women, um, the criteria for meeting um, the clinically vulnerable group. Um, it talks about the benefits of the vaccine, which is what I've um, outlined, uh, and the risks of the vaccination, um, including side effect risks. So um, this is uh, this is the, the 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 information sheet that we think is 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 good for pregnant women um, to, to to help them make the decisions they need to make. And that brings me to the end of my talk. Thank you very much. Fabulous, Ken. That that is so fantastic. It has such a clear presentation and centered around pregnant women and those in maternity care and I, I think the leaflet for those who haven't seen it is really really useful because it's good for us because it's very clear very straightforward and even though this there are always a lot of gray areas within COVID at the moment because I think as Ken's pointed out there's some things that we don't know we're still gathering information and I think what's what I'm getting from Ken's session was partly the sort of the way the data is just gathering as we're going and, and very fast. I mean, you know, a year ago, two years ago, we wouldn't have had so much information so quickly. So we just have to carry on with, with doing that. So thank you so much, Ken. We have had a few questions, so you just have to hang on. If For those of you who are listening and watching, do send in your questions and we'll get to them after Linda's session. So we'll move on to Linda, Linda Machikari, who came into midwifery almost by chance, and thank goodness she did, 23 years ago, can't believe it. She's worked within caseload practice, she's worked with teenage mums, she's been in senior roles, including being a consultant midwife. Um, and while a consultant midwife, she was looked after one woman who called her the best ever, and that she uses that as her as her and her Twitter handle, um, and she's a runner, a fundraiser, a tweeter, and at the moment part time vaccinator. In between being head of midwifery at Lewisham, so welcome, Linda. Thank you so much. The screen is now yours. Thank you very much, Sue, and thank you for that introduction. Um, I'm glad my skull's quite intact because the head. <laughs> It's like, oh my gosh, you remember so many things about me. <laughs> I guess you take good notes. Um, so um, I don't have any slides, um, but I'm a good storyteller. And seeing as it's storytelling week, you know, that's basically what I'll do. And I've had an interesting journey. I've, I've been head of midwifery for just about a year and a half now. And it's been a very interesting journey with us having been in a pandemic for um, the bulk of that time I've been head of midwifery. So what I'd like to do is take you through a, a personal story that also is a work story and everything around vaccinations in pers perspective of the things you meet from day to day. So, um, I mean, when the pandemic broke out, um, if I talk about self, I just thought, yes, I'm black. Um, and that was important in the beginning, I think, because um, right at the beginning, we rumours around the black community that actually we were safe from COVID because our melanin protected us. I'm glad that that didn't last for very long, but certainly there were things, especially from Southern Africa, where I've come, I come from, that there were certainly circulating things like that through WhatsApp and the power of social media and people just telling each other in communities that largely have relied over the years through storytelling or telling each other things and wisdom from older people and so on. Um, it's it, 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 accessing information if and if it's there, there's just some communities that will just hang on to things and whatever comes on WhatsApp. My mum being one of them. So um, my mother is 78 years old. Um, she's got diabetes, which she controls tablets. Um, but certainly anything that comes through social media is true, um, especially if it comes from WhatsApp. Anything comes from daughter who's been a midwife for 23 years. Maybe I'm taking it with skepticism because to my mother, I'm always going to be a daughter and she's wiser than me. So what can you tell me that um, I will believe? So there's that story going on in the background. But certainly when it broke out, I thought I'm black, I'm fit. Um, I don't have any comorbidities. So in myself, I'm okay. But my concern was, 
I work in the healthcare setting. My mum travels between Zimbabwe and the UK. And as COVID broke out, she couldn't then go to Zimbabwe um, to her, where she loves to be really. Um, so ended up staying, living with me. Um, so my concern was I work in a hospital, I come home to my 78 old mum. So although I might not have concern for self, I've got concern for my mother. So we quickly had to go into a situation where um, we're not mingling at all in the house. And this is quite difficult. I mean, um, I am my mother's daughter. We look alike quite a bit. We're very close. So to then have that social distancing and make it really work uh, within a, I've got a small flat, is, um, uh, was difficult really. But um, luckily, We've got our own um, bathrooms, we've got our own, so we could live separate lives in this way, but the shared spaces are the lounge and the kitchen. So since March last year, we've never been in the kitchen in the same time. You know, and, and that's something that's really difficult because even though the message wasn't going through to my mum to say, in one sense, she, she reads the, she gets these breaking news as she calls it, um, so the news will go through onto a phone to say COVID, the numbers like this, until you personally touch, it's not real to you. And then she'd get these things on WhatsApp telling her different things. So she'd wander out with her wheelie bag, two wheels, go out into the middle of Woolwich, condensed area, lots of people shopping, once go to, to the black market and so on. And I'd worry about that. And I cried one night. I said, if you get COVID from these little excursions you keep taking, even though you're saying everyone wears gloves, we're now all wearing, is everybody in our family will think I gave it to you. So please stop going out till things are a little bit safer. So as time um, went on, um, this is going on. I'm also having a, my own personal challenges at work and there were certainly around um, we anxiety, stress of staff, trying to lead um, staff with information that was changing daily. So if we remember how PPE, um, that whole story broke out or that journey in terms of some guidance would come out and then you don't know, well, how does it apply to maternity? How does this apply in a home birth setting? Is this the same things? I remember just conversations around, um, so what is an APG and concerns from labeled midwives to say, but the women are using Entonox 24 seven and they're breathing all this stuff. I mean, how can you say it's safe for us to be there? So you had all this fear and certainly um, situations then arising that if we knew we had a COVID positive woman and at that time we weren't testing everybody. So if someone was sick, we'd test them and we'd get positive tests. These people genuinely out of fear then say, I'm not going to the COVID room or I looked after the COVID woman yesterday. Why should it be to me today? So as time went on, um, during this whole journey was also then a realization very quickly that actually black and brown communities were really being affected disproportionately with the COVID. So that quickly had to, the story that our melanin um, was protecting us had to change quite quickly. And then the, 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 the fear came along, the, um, we need to do risk assessments on all our staff um, and staff then coming to a point where um, the fear's there, but I need to be working for my family. Um, you think about, and I'm gonna talk particularly about black communities. Um, if you're thinking of first generation in a place like London, you've got lots of nurses and midwives who come from um, all over Africa. Um, then you've got communities that are Asian and so on that are working within our workforce. And a lot of the time, um, women, whether in a two parent um, household or single parent household, they um, carry quite a lot of the burden around caring, burden around um, uh, going to work and so on. So you have people going to work even when they don't feel well, those kind of things coming through. And when we started with the risk assessments and realizing there was the fear that, so why can't I wear an FFP3 mask all the time if that's how I feel safest? Um, we've been advised um, 
that a surgical mask is protective, wear your apron, and second stage, wear your long sleeve gown and so on. And I remember going through that period and trying to be the leader that people are asking questions to, but I didn't have all the answers and trying to navigate through that. So certainly when talk around vaccines started, to me, that was a glimmer of hope as it has been for a lot of people. It was a glimmer of hope to say, finally, we're getting somewhere. But there was something else that was, um, some of you might be aware of work by, um, which I collaborated in um, by Dr. Roland, uh, Gloria Roland, um, called Turning the Tide. And this was looking at the experience of black and Asian staff um, through COVID, um, and doing sessions, webinars. It started off with groups of midwives. So it was done through webinars that were banded and then certainly bank and agency midwives were included as well and support workers. And there was a student midwife session as well. And overwhelmingly what came out in addition to the anxiety, the fear was people saying, um, there's always been undercurrents of racism and it's been played out in COVID as well. Um, agency midwives were saying, and the, the agency midwives tend to be the unheard voice. They come and do their job and they leave. Um, if we have continued um, relationship, it's either, you know, we, we keep asking them to come back. Um, they then become a member of the team somehow and maybe get logins and so on in the place of work. But certainly from place to place as they went, agency midwives were saying, when we go to a place, we give them the COVID patients. Um, worries around PPE initially, you know, not everybody was saying they had adequate PPE. So to hear all this and that now people were really appreciating that you're six times more likely to be hospitalized if you're black and realization with this, when the vaccines came through, I strongly believed that we'll be there in our masses from black communities, Asian communities saying, please give us our vaccines, you know, we at more risk, so therefore we'll um, uptake the vaccine. So in the trust that I work in, I work in um, Lewisham Greenwich in Southeast London. Um, we started our vaccination program just before New Year's. And up until this week, we were receiving the Pfizer vaccine. And um, we've only started vaccinating with um, the AstraZeneca on Tuesday, this past Tuesday. And I quickly got involved in that vaccination program for a few things for me. Um, coming along to that, the vaccines are nearly ready. Again, social media, again, WhatsApp. Because I start getting things during the course of the day from my mother and she'd be like, look, they're experimenting on people in Nigeria. Bill Gates wants to go and do this. And then these petitions were going around do not come to our country, we're not your guinea pigs, we're not being... So where has this mistrust and fear come from? It's certainly there. And I think there's a lot of things to answer for in previous, in the past. Um, quite a lot of people in the black community, especially, um, are very reliant on community leaders, um, faith healers. And if we don't have buy-in from them, or if the faith healer is not caught, quite bought into um, giving the, the, the messages that keep people safe or go get vaccinated, that's how some people will follow that. Um, and certainly what I'm thinking particularly maybe around the mistrust, um, there was a syphilis experiment in Tuskegee mm. yeah. in the 1950s where men over a 40 year period thought they were getting treatment from syphilis, uh, for syphilis, but actually were being given placebos. They were trying to see what happens um, with the progression of syphilis if you don't treat it. And um, the availability of penicillin and all that, people didn't benefit from that. So there's mistrust along things like that. Um, and, you know, I've touched a little bit on racism. This is not a forum that I can explore things in full mm -hmm. length. But on the backdrop of we're scared, we're six times more likely to be hospitalized. I really thought we'll all be running there. I run a lot. Mm. So for me, I was waiting for this vaccine to come out. And I said, mummy, I'd never let you get a vaccine that is not safe. So I'll be the first one there. And then once I've had it, you can have it. 
And I remember this text message coming back to me while I was at work, well, you'll be the first to die. Because at that point, my mother wasn't in a frame of mind to say, this is okay, this is safe. And because she's a person of contact to me, I, I kind of was trying to understand where she was coming from, but multiply that by many households where say maybe my mum being my mum, 78, um, brothers and sisters, maybe she's a matriarch of the whole family. If she's saying, if I wasn't, if she's saying, I'm not getting the vaccine and none of us are, the whole family will follow that and not get mm. the vaccines. So started with the Pfizer just at the end of December and the data that's come out is a bit worrying for my trust in that of the staff that been vaccinated up until this point, up until yesterday. So we've had our program going on for five, nearly six weeks, is that 66% of staff, uh, white staff have had the vaccine, 43% Asian, and black it's 22, 23%. I was gutted by these figures. I was gutted because as a vaccinator, I stayed up one night doing the program, the e-learning, let me be a vaccinator because I wanted to do my bit, yeah? Um, We've all had pressures around COVID and some of my colleagues who are nurse trained as well have been working in ITU. Um, and my thing to give back or to help the rest, everybody else, um, the wider community was, okay, let me be involved in this vaccination program. And as a personal thingy for me and um, the story with my mum, I also wanted to be talking to people individually. So every black and brown person I vaccinated so us running out of stickers to say, I've had the COVID vaccine was me. I'd give them a, a, a sticker to say, here's one that you can wear on your badge while you're at work. But here's one to wear on the outside of your coat. And as you go home today, speak to another black person, another brown person and say, I've had my vaccine. You should have it too, because there's power individual conversations and trying to understand mm -hmm. why some people are reluctant. And since we started this program, if I'm not vaccinating, I'm talking to people. Mm. So this Monday, walked into our labor ward, saw an ISS member of staff. This is a hostess, serves the meals. I said, have you had your vaccine? Um, she's 62, I discovered, because I had to take her date of birth. And she said, no, can I have it here? And to think that for five, six weeks, we've had this program at work and nobody's spoken to her about it. When yet we vaccinated, not just everybody that works as a healthcare worker, but all our support staff, whether it's the porters, the hostesses, certainly. And to say, nobody had spoken to. And I said, okay, I'll sort you out. I'll book you in. And there I was, I'm always ready to book someone in. Um, went to the computer, booked her in. And as I said, what about your friend? Cause someone came to help her with the trolley. And, um, she then, she's 59 and the same thing. Nobody's really talked to me about it. I didn't know I could get it at work. So having these individual conversations has been something of benefit to me. Mm. But I'm talking about talking about hostesses, but I've talked to, to midwives as well. People have said to me, no, I'm not gonna have the vaccine. I then ask why, and I've had a range of answers. So I'm waiting for the Oxford vaccine, why? it's local and we won't have a stock issue and I remember in the first days we were told we've bought enough vaccines to vaccinate everybody three times over whether that's true or not can nod or shake your head I don't know <laughs> <laughs> but um to then have somebody say that I went oh okay that's that hadn't occurred to me I just wanted to be first in line to get this vaccine um to get um so asked another person why haven't you had it I'm waiting for the Oxford vaccine um, because it's local and I'll trust the data more. It's made in Oxford, so I'd rather have something British. Okay. Asked another person and they said, well, I'm worried about the ingredients. And again, the power of social media, that particular person, I then remembered a TikTok somebody had sent me on WhatsApp, somebody making a bit of a funny about um, people worrying about the ingredients in vaccines and it's like you know but when you're in the pub on a Friday do you worry do you ask the the, the guy who's made your cocktail what exactly is cocktail? <laughs> <laughs> or do you just drink it yeah 
Um, it, it's a funny thing. It makes light of it that, you know, it's basically trying to say, go get the correct information. And so when somebody said to me about inclusions, I said, okay, I've seen a very great webinar. Um, at that time, in my trust, we hadn't um, done any webinars, but through the LMS, the local maternity system, <clears throat> which I'm co-chair for the South, Southeast London, um, one of the trusts within our LMS had done um, a webinar already. And, you know, there's people that I've worked there with before mm. and people that people really know and they trust as well. It, it is about a rapport sometimes or somebody you trust. And um, send that round in my trust, um, certainly to people that work in my division. And I had one support worker who's 59 works on our maternity ward and she said I really want to speak to you because I had said to my family we're not having the vaccine nothing's known about it they've taken too short a time to develop it and after watching the webinar my whole family we're going to get vaccinated so I'll be first because I work here and that really touched me and I thought okay so there's there is power in having these conversations but the webinars have helped as well. So we've run those as a trust, but as a midwife, all those questions are coming through now from women um, and midwives and, you know, is it safe to give? And Ken's covered this quite well. Um, but again, I'd say have those single conversations with women. Mm. It might just be as simple as the GP is not giving appointments or whatever, and we can then facilitate it. If you have the power within your organizations to be talking to the people that can set up clinics and run them. So in my trust, we're going to be, um, we are one of the COVID centers up until yesterday in, from staff and within the community, we'd vaccinated 10,000 people. So that's a nice number to be um, proud of. Um, and it's to do whatever you can, whether it's talking to somebody individually, whether it's talking to women in the clinics to come to your clinics every touch point and that's what I always always try and grab on um, every touch point with somebody whenever you meet them think about the important things so um, if, the, if the person's a smoker talk to them about smoking but vaccines there's always been stories about vaccines mm. so it's saying to women you have the whooping cough you're happy to have that so that's not a live vaccine um, don't know how long coronavirus is going to be here, maybe some time to come, or it's just going to be like the flu jab we have every year. I don't know. Ken, nod, shake your head. Um, <laughs> at every time. I don't think we know. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not. But every touch point, be talking to women about the importance about having the vaccine. And if you don't have information, say that to somebody. I don't have the information. Can I pass it on to the person that can? you know, and um, use all the channels that you have. So I was very um, careful or, or, or took the opportunity as my mum had her vaccine in our trust, took a picture because I knew it would be important to her. She's not on, on any Twitter or whatever. Mm. And, but what my mum then did is send it to a few uncles of mine to say, I've had the vaccine and Somebody latched onto it, sent it to another person. Next mm. thing, the church community she comes from in Zimbabwe said, you've had the vaccine? Tell us more. Um, what else, you know, have you feel, felt anything? My mother had no symptoms at all. Um, no side effects, rather. I had the dead arm. I had it on New Year's Eve. Doesn't help. Maybe I had a bit of bubbly at New Year's. Um, <laughs> so I couldn't differentiate between the headache I've got <laughs> something else. But I had the dead arm, I had a fever, I had aches. And I told myself during the day, I'm making more antibodies because I've had antibodies um, for quite a while. And being in the siren study, um, I've had antibodies up until December and then they disappeared. <laughs> I was so disappointed. Um, but um, I had all those side effects and my mum had none, none. And she boasted so much about it. I said in the end, are you sure you didn't get saline? <laughs> <laughs> But she used her picture, not on social media, but sending it just on WhatsApp. And the church where she, the community she goes to then said, can you please talk to us or send us something that we can tell to the church that when we do start a vaccination program, that there isn't an issue. Mm. So um, 
what else did I want to talk about? Sorry, I hope I've covered. Oh, Linda, I think I think you are such a fantastic storyteller, Linda. I could listen to you all day. I think I think yeah. we have to bring it to a close. And I think we'll have to post you back again because we've got a whole load of questions from all over. And I don't know if we've got a few minutes to, to ask some of the questions, but thank you so much because I think what you've, what we've got from Ken I, in overriding my mind is this gathering of data and matching it up and making sure that pregnant women are very clear, but also we're getting information back. What I'm getting from you is this individual kind of targeting of people in a very gentle way, but in a very, you know, addressing their fears, but actually using women and the sort of um, opinion leaders, and this is very diffusion of innovations thing, um, to, to kind of persuade people and get them to look at reality and what it's going to be really like. It's been fantastic. So thank you so much, both of you. But I'm going to just use a couple of questions because we've had a huge amount of questions. Um, we had some, we had a query about uh, vaccines that were originally, if Sheila O'Sullivan says, if effectiveness has been proven when the vaccine is given three weeks apart, why has it changed to 11 to 12 weeks? Now, I think that should be Ken in about two seconds, because I know that this has been, this has been highlighted by um, the um, uh, Chris Whitty, I think. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was today or yesterday, but... It's to do with... Um... It's to do with the peak of COVID, the fact that um, it's so prevalent and it, wanting to vaccinate as many people. And one dose gives um, a, a reasonable amount of protection from COVID. Um, and um, if you want to maximise kind of the effect of the vaccine for the whole population, you want to vaccinate as many people as possible um, with the first dose uh, and then um, uh, give a, a second dose at a later stage. So it's all to do with the... Um, the, the the huge that the peak in COVID cases that we've seen and the need to really immunise as many people as quickly as possible. Beautifully put. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. And I've got a question from Wahida, uh, who says, "What about women who've had had sickle cell disease or major thalassemia?" So, so yes, they are in the um, uh, the clinically vulnerable group um, because of the effects of sickle cell disease and the spleen. Uh, and so, yes, they're eligible for the vaccine and it's safe to give to them. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. OK, we had uh, da, 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 da. Sabina says regarding the vaccine in pregnancy, I'm a student midwife, but the midwives and some of the obstetric doctors in my trust had advised me against getting it if I plan to have further children. I don't know where Sabina's from and whether she's in the UK, and she, but she carries on. There isn't enough data or evidence to support not getting it, but also none to support it. Well, I think, Sabina, if you've listened to Ken, I think that may be, have been outweighed. Yeah, I mean, the, the, uh, there's very good evidence that um, the vaccine is effective uh, against preventing COVID. Um, whether she's got additional risks that, that make her more susceptible to COVID might, might influence her decision-making. Um, mm. but, but, but yeah, no, I think it, there's no impact on fertility. That's just not been proven to be true. Um, and we need to dispel that rumour. It's not true. Okay, so those of you who are watching, dispel that rumour because it's purely a rumour, not true. No facts, no evidence. Okay, now we've got another... Uh, da, 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 da. We've got um, Mich Michelle, Michelle B says, hi, do the speakers know if other countries are vaccinating women in pregnancy or breastfeeding mothers? The US is. Yeah. Isn't it? yeah. Okay. Any others or just the US so far? Um, definitely the US. Um, I, I'm not, I, I shouldn't know really what, what's happening in Europe. Um, I, I think um, certain countries are vaccinating. I think Germany are, um, and other countries are being more cautious. Okay, okay, that's great, thank you. And then we have, this is another one I think for, for Ken, Alfredo Vanacci, medical toxicologist uh, in Florence. 
Hello, Alfredo. <laughs> Thank you very much for your talk. The legal framework is clear, but from an ethical point of view, I believe that what we are doing is actually a clinical trial on pregnant women at a population level. We really have no safety data, which is what Ken has already said very clearly. Um, we have no reason to think COVID vaccines should be dangerous, but according to a precautionary principle, shouldn't be better, or wouldn't it be better to perform real clinical trials before going to population? Um, I, I agree in principle. So I think that, you know, uh, excluding pregnant women from clinical trials of the vaccine um, has, you know, is is wrong really and we, 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 sh we should but it's very common um, for, for drug companies to do that mm. um i think that's okay but then she has to weigh up the, the effects of covid on, on people and the fact that you know leaving pregnant women unvaccinated also isn't fair and that denies them the choice to be able to protect themselves against covid particularly if they're at susceptible risk i.e they've got medical comorbidities or they've um they're, they're working with covid patients and so i think to turn that argument on its head, I think you need to take into consideration the effects of COVID on pregnant women. And it's not all rosy. Um, no, 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 not at all. Thank you. That's very clear. OK, we've got a, um, a question for Monica. And I think this is this is a tricky one. Thank you for your presentation. Why is there not a vaccine available to those who find it ethically difficult to have the vaccine due to cells from an aborted fetus? found in the vaccine and she says hex 293 now my understanding is this this is an artificial both all actually all of the vaccines are made in the laboratory as it were so i don't know if this is about some other rumor yeah i'm not um i'm you know i'm not not sure what she's um referring to there yeah, I just, well, I wonder because I know there was something on Twitter mm -hmm. a few weeks back about yeah. the way that the vaccines are made. And my, my information or my knowledge is that it's, it, they're all artificially made. They're not made from kind of things. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah that's correct. Yeah. yeah. So that might make, that might make you feel better from that, um, Monica, I hope anyway. So we have da, 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 vaccines. I think, I mean, I think I, I, I don't know if anyone wants to add anything as we sort of wrapping up, um, because it, the other the other thing that's that was coming over to me, which is coming over in some of the questions. And I think some of what Linda was saying was the sort of distrust, which is quite worrying, isn't it? Because we like as a health system to be able to, to be trusted by the people we provide care for. And I don't know if you wanted to, both of you say a word about tr increasing trust in the vaccine and in those who are giving the vaccines, maybe. Um, I think the way we'll do that is to be true ambassadors. Um, and as an ambassador, um, it, it's doing all those things I've described as well, but engaging. So if we are having webinars, um, in our different trusts to engage the community leaders, vape healers, get them in on the conversation. Mm. Um, we've got a very active uh, maternity voices partnership and they, you know, women will relate to certain people. I mean, we've had conversations around, would you rather hear a little bit more about the vaccine from the midwife or from the obstetrician you might see in clinic for a short period of time or you see because He's a fetal medicine consultant and so on. And, um, you know, the feedback from the MVP uh, was that, you know, I, I want to be talking to somebody I already have a rapport with and somebody I can relate to. So it's also how you deliver the information. And mm. I always have to change the conversation I have with people um, mm. and tailor it to you. If it's somebody that wants the data, I'll point them in the right direction. Mm. But if somebody saying to me, I'm really scared, please put a screen in front of me at one of the clerks at work and um, do that as quick as possible. But she hasn't gone to get the vaccine. Mm -hmm. I'm saying, so what's behind that? Mm -hmm. I don't know, I've just never had the flu vaccine. So why should I have this? Mm -hmm. So I said, right, I'm coming back to you. <laughs> Is that, that personal touch, Linda? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, I don't know what um, Ken needs to add. Um, I mean, I, I agree with everything Linda says. I think that it's really important to engage communities with this and, and perhaps the approach of there is an information sheet where people perhaps don't want the medicalised opinion, they want my opinion, they want the opinion of their leaders and their local population and other people that have had the vaccine in the population. Mm. Um, I do think vaccination is a topic that does polarise people. So um, mm. people a lot of people are just, just, just no matter what you do to try try and convince them the vaccine's safe, will always say it's not safe, we'll never have the vaccine. And then there's people that um, are really wanting the vaccine and, and are happy to have it. Um, that there are groups of people in the middle, as I say, and it's those people that I think we can influence. Um, but, 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 you know, in, in talking about this topic, you know, I do come across a lot of people that are, are very anti-vaccination and, um, you know, I can try as hard as I can to, to, to present the scientific evidence for that. But um, at the end of the day, um, people have their own opinions and you have to mm. accept to think that you're not going to change everybody's opinion. Mm. Yeah, that's great. I, th I have to say I could... We, this could carry on for another hour, but I'm very conscious that we're meant to be the maternity and midwifery hour and we've gone over our time and it has been excellent to listen to Ken and Linda. It's been a real eye-opener on so many levels and thank you so much to the audience for some fantastic questions. And I'm sorry we didn't get to all every single one, but we did take a good sample of what was coming through. So thank you for your interaction there. Um, and I just need to say that, again, another huge thank you to Ken and Linda for making the time to be with us this evening. It's been fantastic. Um, and there will be resources on the website. And this whole presentation will come up again uh, a bit later on Friday. There'll be a podcast and over the weeks to come and you'll be able to access it and just repeat some of the things if you weren't quite clear. Lots of information to get into. Now, next week, the Maternity and Midwifery Hour, we've got the wonderful Sheena Byram coming to do a session with Fatima and Sam, midwives, and Louise Speakman. And they're looking at nurturing midwives and student midwives. And promoting positive mental health which is so important at this time so that's going to be fantastic those of you who might be free to come to the 9th of um february i can't believe it's already february midwifery and maternity uh, festival it's all ireland but there's some absolutely fantastic speakers there coming that we've got coming so come for the morning come for the afternoon come for the whole day that'd be fabulous and in the meantime Thank you to our speakers and thank you to you for coming tonight. Stay well, stay sale, safe, and we'll see you next week. And get your vaccine. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for joining us for the Maternity and Midwifery Hour. This podcast has been made possible by the team at Maternity and Midwifery Forum and our CPD partners, Matflix. You can sign up at matflix.co.uk. This episode was edited and produced by Catherine Stewart of the Narrowcast Media Group.